Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 148 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get rolling for this episode of the podcast, I want to thank my guest from the last episode, Mark Hoke, the host of The Mark Hoke Show, the number one pro wrestling radio show in Las Vegas on KDWN 101.5 FM. As we mark the 30th anniversary of WrestleMania 9, held back in 1993 at Caesars Palace, Mark and I went in-depth on what's often regarded as, quote, the worst WrestleMania of all time. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 147, 30 Years of Mania. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready for it? It's time for another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. We're going to be recapping and reliving my most recent trip to Vegas from March 4th to 11th, 2023, my second trip of the year, and what's likely to be my busiest trip of the year. I managed to combine work and play this time around. My wife joined me for a few days at the start of the trip for some leisure time. Then I attended the Podcast Movement Evolutions Conference at the Westgate for the last part of the trip. As usual, I've got reviews of my hotel experience, my meals, and the shows I checked out on this trip. I've also got some tips and tricks to share for others who might be thinking about attending conferences in Las Vegas, as well as a few other observations and thoughts about what's going on in Vegas right now. So, without any further ado, let's get to it. All right, so we're going to begin with my hotel experience. This time around, I made the decision to stay at Luxor. Now, Luxor isn't usually my first choice of hotel. In fact, it's usually not even my second or third choice. So why did I decide to stay at Luxor this time around? Well, simply put, it was cheap. I was going to be in Vegas for seven nights between the vacation time and the conference time. So I didn't want to spend a whole ton of money on my hotel. I happened to have comps available for a couple of nights at Luxor, and I had recently upgraded or tier matched to become MGM Gold with the MGM Rewards program, which meant I wasn't going to be paying any resort fees at an MGM property. So again, this was simply a financial choice. Now, if you're not 100% familiar with Vegas geography, let me tell you a little bit about where the Luxor is located. It is at the extreme south end of the Las Vegas Strip. As a matter of fact, there's only one major property further south than Luxor, and that would be Mandalay Bay. So for this reason alone, 
Luxor is not usually one of my first choices or at the top of my list for stays. I usually like to stay somewhere a little bit more mid strip where I can walk out of the hotel, be right in the middle of the action. I've got lots of options for restaurants and shopping without having to travel long distances. This is the same reason that when people ask me where they should stay, if they're going to Vegas for the first time, I never mention Luxor, despite the fact that financially or economically, it's, it's one of the more reasonable properties. I, I usually will not recommend it just because I don't think people are going to enjoy the fact that they have to travel long distances in order to find restaurants or, or shopping. But again, this time around for the time period that I was going to be in Vegas, Luxor just happened to be the most reasonably priced. Anything that was in the middle of the strip or closer to center strip was double or even triple the price in some cases. Fun fact about the Luxor, Luxor is considered to be one of the most haunted spots on the Vegas Strip. This is for a couple of reasons. First, it's believed that the Egyptian theme throughout the property has actually put a curse on the resort due to the inattention to tradition and detail. For example, Egyptian tradition is that there should be two sphinxes to guard the property. There's only one sphinx at Luxor, and word is it also faces the wrong direction. Secondly, there have been numerous deaths associated with Luxor, including several workers who died during construction, multiple people who've fallen from the high floors of the pyramid into the atrium area, and a bombing in the parking garage. Word is that the ghosts of those who've died still roam the property, unable to check out. Ooh. I saw a lot of weird stuff at Luxor, but I never saw ghosts, not once during my entire time there. Anyways, my room, I had booked a pyramid room with a strip view. We were on the ninth floor of the pyramid looking east. Uh, we could see the airport from where we were. We could see the strip from where we were. We could also see the back end of the Sphinx, who, by the way, has got a whole lot of junk in the trunk. That Sphinx got a really big booty. Anyway, uh, we did not have one of the newly renovated rooms at Luxor. The carpet was a little bit worn in some spots. There was a little bit of peeling wallpaper, but overall, uh, the room and the furniture were in pretty good shape. I really did not have anything to complain about. The one downside to the room itself, there's no fridge in the room, which is a little bit of an annoyance. You don't have anywhere that you can store drinks or snacks to keep stuff cool, but this is common. Every MGM property I've ever stayed at, none of them have had fridges in the room. So I was pretty much prepared for the fact that there wouldn't be a fridge there. Also, the TV remote was missing when we checked into the room, which is a weird thing to be missing. When we first got in there, we were getting settled. We were kind of unpacking and I thought, well, I'll flip the TV on. So I go looking for the remote bedside tables, no remote. Open the drawers to the bedside tables. No remote. I look in the room safe. I look in all the dresser drawers. I look in the closet. I look in the desk drawers. I even went and looked in the bathroom. No remote. So I phoned housekeeping to get them to bring me a new remote. Not so much because I was planning on watching a whole lot of television, but mainly because I didn't want them to think that I either stole it or lost it. And I didn't want them to charge me like $500 for a new remote when I was checking out or something stupid like that. Anyways, I called the housekeeping. They had the new remote down within like five or 10 minutes. It was super, super fast. So I really, really appreciated that. Um, when we were checking into Luxor, I was a little bit concerned about noise. There was a huge 
high school girls regional volleyball tournament happening. It was being held at the Mandalay Bay Event Center, so right next door to Luxor. And it seemed like a lot of the teams and their families were staying at Luxor. The lobby was absolutely jammed full of high school girls laughing, giggling, yelling. I thought, oh my God, this is going to be an absolute disaster. Because if you've ever stayed at a hotel where a high school or junior high school sports team is staying, it's an absolute shit show. It's a dumpster fire. There's people in the hallways. It's noisy. There's yelling. There's screaming. It's, it's usually an absolute mess. Credit where credit is due. We heard no noise. I give all the big kudos to Luxor for giving us what was possibly the quietest hotel stay we have ever had in Las Vegas. We heard nothing. We heard nothing in the hallways. We heard no yelling. We heard no screaming. We heard nothing from our neighbors. It, it was absolutely outstanding. We were, we were very, very impressed with that whole situation. Now, despite all those positives, there were some negatives. We did have some issues staying at Luxor. Number one, hot water. Now, if you've listened to past episodes of the podcast, you may have heard me mention the issues I've had with water at Luxor before. Once I had no hot water. I was already in the shower. I was basically wet. I was naked. There was no hot water. It was a cold shower. It was not a lot of fun. Another time got into the room late at night, went to turn the water on to wash my hands after going to the bathroom. There was no water, nothing coming out of the tap. This time around, three out of the seven mornings that I was at the hotel, when I went to take a shower, the water was lukewarm at best. I had the knob cranked all the way as hot as you could possibly crank it, and it was still coming out just barely lukewarm. And on a couple of occasions, the water did actually flow cold. So it was not really a comfortable experience. The weird thing, though, is I did find that the earlier in the day I had my shower, the hotter the water was, which is a very strange thing for a hotel. I've never experienced that in a hotel, particularly a big multi-thousand room resort hotel. It's just very, very weird. Otherwise, there was nothing else wrong with the shower. The shower head itself was great. It was one of those big rainfall showers. It had a lot of pressure. It was, it was fantastic. One of the first showers I've ever been in in Vegas that didn't leak in some way, shape, or form. I had no water on the floor anywhere, but just issues with the water being lukewarm as opposed to being hot. Also ran into some serious issues with the elevators, or if I want to be technically correct because it's Luxor, the inclinators. The elevators in Luxor, if you're not familiar, in the pyramid, they run at a 39 degree angle up the corners of the pyramid. So they call them inclinators instead of uh, elevators. Anyways, the inclinators did not seem to run with any kind of pattern, rhyme, or reason, which led to some pretty long lines and large groups of people who were standing around waiting for very long periods of time to actually get onto an elevator. Secondly, MGM Resorts has gone through and installed keycard readers in all of their properties' elevators. So you have to tap your keys in order to access your floor, which 
I got to say, I'm actually impressed with for security purposes. I like that idea as opposed to just having a random person standing at the entryway to the elevator checking room keys. This actually makes sure that the only people who are accessing floors are the people who are supposed to be accessing them. From a security side of things, I think it's great. But when you've got a large group of people who are cramming their way into an elevator and everybody individually has to tap their key card because your key card only works for your floor. I can't, if I'm on the ninth floor and you're on the 10th floor, I can't tap my key card and select your floor. It doesn't work. So it does become a bit of a pain in the ass. As a matter of fact, there were people who were riding the elevator past their floor because there were so many people in the elevator, they hadn't had a chance to tap their key on the card reader yet. So we were going past their floor before they had a chance to actually get to their floor and, and, and push their room floor button. It was kind of ridiculous as well. The digital key that MGM has recently started doing through their app using your smartphone is a great idea in theory, but an absolute disaster in practice. If you're not familiar with this concept, basically you can do an online check-in for your room, which is a great idea. It saves you having to stand in the big long check-in line to get your room key. When you do that, you download a digital key onto your smartphone and it uses the RF transmitter and RF reader in your phone to be able to enter your room or uh, access your floor via the elevator. This only seemed to work for about 5% of the people who are trying to use it. And I talked about this on a previous trip report episode. I think it was from last summer when I stayed at the Mirage for a couple of nights when they were still an MGM property. The thing is in order to use that, that digital key on your phone, you still need to have access to some sort of network, whether it's Wi-Fi or 3g. And you know where there is no network access inside an elevator shaft. <laughs> It's, it was a disaster. Like I say, it was about 5% of the people that I saw who were trying to use the digital key on their phone in the elevator who were actually able to do it. So my recommendation, I know it's a pain in the ass to stand in that big, long registration line and get a room key. My recommendation, do it, get the room key. You're going to save yourself a lot of hassle down the road. Now, we also had elevator or inclinator maintenance issues as well. The second day that we were at Luxor, so the Sunday, which was a very, very busy day still, two of the four inclinators in our bank of inclinators that we used to access our room broke down. The two that were still functioning were acting weird. They were skipping floors. They were going up and then coming back down a few floors and then going back up again and then coming back down. They were, they were going in weird directions. I mean, still going up and down the way they're supposed to, but again, like skipping floors and coming down and not going down far enough. It was very, very bizarre. This led to people going and using the other bank of inclinators that you could use in order to access our floor, but they happen to be quite a ways, quite a bit further from our room. This resulted in some very large backups and very large groups of people having to wait to get on to an elevator in order to make their way up their floor. It was, it was some very long waits in order to head up now Monday morning. So a day and a half later, the inclinators in our stair in our area still had not been fixed. We waited almost 20 minutes 
to try to get down off of our floor. There were people when we got to our bank of elevators on our floor to go down, there were three or four people who were already there who had been standing there for five or 10 minutes already. We waited 20 minutes before I made the executive decision for my wife and I to essentially take an elevator up because the elevators were going up still and they were going up somewhat full, but not completely full. I made the executive decision to basically grab my wife and hop in an elevator going up. And then we rode it back down to the lobby. And we weren't the only ones doing this because when the elevator finally came back down and stopped on our floor on the ninth floor, it was absolutely jammed. People were having to wait for multiple cars. There were a few people that actually just gave up and decided to take the stairs down. So again, this was a little bit of an annoyance and I debated on being that guy and going to the manager or going to a hotel manager. I don't like being that guy, but I debated on actually doing it in this case for a couple of reasons. One, it was an annoyance to have to wait 20 minutes just to be able to get off my floor. And two, it was an issue for accessibility for people. There was a couple of times where we were going down and this was after we rode the elevator back up. Um, but we were coming down, the doors would open and there were people there in scooters or wheelchairs who now couldn't get into the elevator to go down because the elevator was jammed so full of people. And because people had already waited for 20 minutes to get on that elevator, there was no way in hell that they were getting out to make room for somebody in a wheelchair. It was terrible. Anyways, I was debating on going and asking the manager to either uh, move me to a different floor where I was going to be accessing a, a via a different elevator or moving me to the tower instead of the pyramid uh, or even moving me to another property. Because again, I just, I didn't feel it was right. And it was a little bit frustrating. I don't like being that guy but I was really tempted to be that guy. Anyways, by Monday night, they were repaired. They seemed to be back to normal and they were running as they should by the end of Monday night. Overall property rating, despite the location and the issues that I ran into with water and inclinators, Luxor really isn't all that bad. They've got decent amenities on site. They've got a good selection of bars and restaurants that's enhanced by having access to the shops of Mandalay Bay, which gives you even more shopping, more bars, more restaurants. There's some great shows right on site at Luxor, including Blue Man Group, Caratop Fantasy, and America's Got Talent Superstars. Luxor is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year and really is in desperate need of some upgrades. But those are starting to happen. Some of the rooms have already been upgraded and some of the common areas are starting to be upgraded as well. Now, would I stay there again? Probably not, unless I needed to be in Vegas for something specific. And again, it was purely a financial decision. Would I recommend that you stay at Luxor? Unlikely. But I would definitely suggest that you make the journey down to that end of the strip to take a walk around the property and check it out for yourself. Next up, it's time to talk about what is easily my favorite part of any Vegas trip, and that would be the food. This time around, we managed to get in a pretty good mix of repeat restaurants and new-to-us places as well, including what might possibly be the most incredible dining experience we have ever had. 
Starting off with the repeats. Of course, we've got Rira Irish Pub in the shops of Mandalay Bay. As usual, my wife and I had an amazing experience at Rira on this trip. It was really, really busy. As I'd previously mentioned, there was that huge high school girls volleyball tournament that had basically taken over Excalibur, Luxor, and Mandalay Bay. So every restaurant was absolutely jammed, including Rira. So we ended up sitting at the bar to eat. The service was great. The food came out fast, the Guinness was flowing, and I had my usual bangers and mash, which was awesome as always. Uh, my wife had the fish and chips, which the portion size was ridiculously huge. We probably could have split the fish and chips between the two of us. We also ended up at Husong's Cantina in the shops of Mandalay Bay. Mexican food, some of the best Mexican we've ever had. Husong's is a must-eat spot for us, especially when my wife is with me. Pretty sure that this is her favorite spot to eat in Las Vegas. I had the Baja Shrimp Taco and a strawberry margarita. She had the carnitas and a blackberry margarita. They bring out the complimentary chips and salsa to start, which were absolutely amazing. The food came out super fast, super hot, and again, as usual, was absolutely fantastic. We had breakfast at the Henry at the Cosmopolitan. We kind of ended up here by accident. We were planning on going to Ellis Island. We wanted to have our Ellis Island Village Cafe breakfast, as we usually have on a Vegas trip. But that happened to be the morning where we got stuck 20 or 25 minutes waiting for an elevator to get off of our floor at Luxor. So by the time we actually got off of our floor at Luxor and started making our way in that direction, it was getting pretty late in the morning and we figured that Ellis Island would probably be busy by the time we got there and that we would be waiting for a long time. So as we were cutting through the Cosmo, I kind of looked at the Henry and went, do you want to just go here? Because both of us were starting to get that early morning breakfast hangry feeling. <laughs> and my wife looked at me and went, yeah, let's just go here. Let's see how long the wait was. The wait they told us was going to be about 35 minutes. I think we only waited about 10 minutes. It, it was super, super fast. I had the signature short rib eggs Benedict, as I usually do at the Henry. My wife had the veggie eggs Florentine, and we split an order of the banana bread, which was absolutely fantastic. As usual, the food was great, very high quality, very, very tasty, and the service was excellent. I also had the opportunity this time around to go back to Noodle Den at the Sahara. This is my second time at Noodle Den. Uh, first time was back in December 2021, and it was only about four or five days after the place had actually opened. And I can tell you, Noodle Den did not disappoint on round number two. I had the Taiwan beef brisket noodle soup with chicken and mushroom pan fried dumplings fantastic. Everything at Noodle Den is homemade, fresh made. You can absolutely tell that it is. The food was fantastic. The service was incredible. Everything came out super, super quick. It was amazing. Now, for the new to me spots, I had a chance to check out a few different places, both on my own and with my wife, starting off with BrewDog on the Strip. This place is just north of MGM Grand. It's a relatively new spot in Vegas. It's the first Vegas location for BrewDog, and I'm guessing it's probably not going to be their last. A little bit of a background on BrewDog. They actually started off as a small Scottish craft brewery. 
ended up turning into the largest brewery in Scotland. They've since grown into a worldwide brand. They've expanded all across Europe. They are all across the UK. They're in Asia. They're onto the Eastern portion of the US. And as mentioned, they've now made the move to the West in the US with a Vegas location. They've got a massive selection of craft beers on tap. They've got a huge menu of cocktails and some pretty epic food with both an indoor tap room and a 30,000 square foot rooftop terrace, which gives you some excellent views of the strip. Now, I elected to sit on the terrace because I thought I'd like to be outside. I would like to enjoy the views. May have been a little bit of a mistake. It was a windy, cool night in Vegas, and I failed to bring a jacket with me. And by the time I was outside and realized, you know what, I probably should have brought a jacket with me. I was far enough from my room that it was really not worth turning around and going back. But I survived the experience. It was all good. For beer, I tried the Jet Black Heart Stout, which very much reminded me of a Guinness. It had a little bit more of a, a chocolate and a coffee flavor to it, but it, it was outstanding. Food-wise, I had the Bacon Deluxe Burger with fries. Possibly, I can honestly say, one of the best burgers I've ever had in Vegas. It was cooked perfectly, which as a Canadian can be a little challenging when you go to Vegas. In Canada, we cook burgers one way, like medium well, like no E. coli is how we like our burgers done. So when you're a Canadian and you're in the U.S. and somebody asks you, how do you want your burger done? Your usual response is cooked. <laughs> but anyways, the burger was cooked absolutely perfectly, uh, topped with a huge thick piece of bacon. Again, this is possibly one of the best burgers that I've ever had in Vegas. The service at BrewDog was outstanding and my server was doing a great job despite a few challenges. Challenge number one was the elements. It was really, really windy. He couldn't leave napkins on tables because they would blow away. A couple of people actually had glasses blow off the table. That's how windy it was. So there were some issues there. And then he was also battling a little bit with the kitchen and the bar because there were several beers that were listed on the happy hour menu, which apparently were not available. And of course, Murphy's law is if there's something on a menu that's not available, that's usually what people are ordering. So again, server did an amazing job uh, despite battling some of these different challenges and issues. Would I go back to BrewDog? Absolutely. Excellent experience, and I will definitely be back. Next up, it's Walk-On's Sports Bistro at Harris. Now, Bistro, you can tell it's fancy because they don't spell it B-I-S-T-R-O. They spell it B-I-S-T-R-E-A-U-X. So it's a Bistro. French. I don't know. Anyways, it's located upstairs where the old Toby Keith's bar and restaurant used to be. I actually ended up here on the recommendation of the hostess at the Guy Fieri restaurant in the link. I used to love going to Guy Fieri's in the link for breakfast. They did an amazing French toast. The breakfast burrito was outstanding. It was the, the size of a newborn child. It was just absolutely delicious. Anyways, I'm walking by, it's 9.30 in the morning, I'm walking by Guy Fieri's, and I go up there and I said, hey, do you have room for one for breakfast? And the, the hostess looks at me and says, we don't do breakfast. And I looked at my watch and went, well, it's a little early for a burger. So is there anywhere that you recommend for breakfast? And she said, go over to Harris and try this walk-ons place. So that's exactly what I did. It is a sports bar. 
sort of generic, nothing too special about the place. It's just standard sports bar decor. Um, would be an excellent spot to go and watch a game, though. And lots of people were in there. The, the day that I was there was kind of uh, part of March Madness. So there were lots of people sitting around uh, watching the, the college basketball that was going on. They have a big bar right in the middle, lots of tables all around. I had the French toast for breakfast, which comes with a side of eggs. Thought that was a little weird just because French toast has already got eggs in it. It's just a lot of eggs is how I felt. Um, also comes with a choice of either bacon or sausage. I went with bacon because, well, bacon, of course. Overall, service was great. Food was excellent. They have a huge menu. They don't just do breakfast there. They do lunches and dinners as well. Would I go back? Yeah, I probably would go back and check out walk-ons. I think it's definitely worth giving it another shot. Uh, next up, I want to tell you about a place called Lou's Diner. It's off the strip. It's quite a ways off the strip, as a matter of fact. And I, I want to give a big thanks to Eater Vegas for the recommendation for this spot. I was on the Eater Vegas website, which, by the way, is an excellent website. If, if you're looking for food suggestions, Eater Vegas is a great spot. I, I was on their site looking at places to go for breakfast and came across this place called Lou's Diner. Now, Lou's has got quite the history. It opened back in 1969. It was originally called Joe L's. And other than a name change to become Lou's Diner in 1997, not really much has changed since then. As mentioned, it is a, a little hole in the wall diner. It's in a strip mall, about a 15 or 20 minute drive from the strip. Looked super busy when we pulled into the parking lot. Parking lot was jammed. There were a bunch of people standing outside waiting to get in. We checked in with the host who was super Super, super friendly. And you could tell there's lots of regulars that come there because he was actually interacting with a lot of them, asking them how they were doing, how their families were doing. Really, really cool vibe. Anyways, we only waited about 10 minutes to get in for a table and the place was hopping. Outstanding. I'm not going to lie to you. I almost didn't want to share lose in this podcast because I don't want it to turn into a tourist hotspot. <laughs> Quite frankly, I kind of wanted to keep it just for myself. I, I don't want a bunch of people to start going there because it was such a great spot. You go in, you get seated. They start you off with homemade jams and crackers. The crackers are not homemade, but the jams are, and they were amazing. They brought out three selections of jams. We had a, a strawberry jam, a raspberry jam, and I think it was a, a blackberry jam. Unbelievable. And of course, yes, the jams are for sale. You can buy yourself a jar of jam from Lou's Diner, and I would definitely recommend that you do. My wife had the French toast special, which looked absolutely incredible. And again, anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I am a eggs Benedict fanatic. So I had the eggs Benedict with hash browns and I can honestly say this is one of the best eggs bennies I've ever had. Usually when you get eggs Benedict, you have the couple of little English muffins and you've got a couple of little circles of back bacon or ham on there. And then the poached eggs on top. This was like a ham steak on top of these English muffins with the poached eggs and the, the hollandaise sauce on top. It was so good. Anyways, again, food was amazing. Service was fantastic. And uh, my wife and I have said, we want to make this one of our regular spots. We want to actually go back for lunch because their soup and sandwich menu looked incredible. And their desserts, 
oh, they looked amazing. They do cakes and pies that just looked and sounded crazy good. So our plan on our next trip to Vegas is definitely to go back uh, to Lou's Diner. Absolutely highly recommended. Finally, I want to talk about the Mayfair Supper Club at the Bellagio. Now, this was a meal that was three years in the planning for us, taking you back to March of 2020 when everything shut down, when the world shut down, when Vegas shut down. My wife and I actually had a trip to Vegas planned for that particular week, and we had a reservation booked for the Mayfair for that particular week. So this was a meal that was quite literally three years in the planning and it was worth the wait. I can honestly say that this is probably the best dining experience that we have ever had. And I'm not just talking about best dining experience in Vegas, but I'm talking about literally anywhere we've ever eaten a meal. This was just incredible. Now, Mayfair is more than just a restaurant. It's a a new spin on the classic supper club. So you're getting dinner and an entire show featuring some of the most incredible entertainers in Las Vegas, plus one of the most unique views of the Bellagio fountains that you can get. The stage is centered pretty much right in the middle of the showroom. So there really isn't a bad seat in the house. And when you're looking past the stage, you're actually looking through big floor to ceiling windows that look out over the Bellagio fountains. So while you've got these performers singing and performing in the middle of the room, you're looking out past them at the Bellagio fountain show. It's just absolutely incredible. And my wife and I happen to be there on a Sunday night. So they do jazz Sunday. So it's a little more of a stripped back show than what you would normally get through the rest of the week where you've got a, a full complete, almost complete production show. This is a small band and a couple of singers, one of whom happened to be our very good friend, Lisa Marie Smith. And you've probably heard me talk about Lisa on the podcast in the past. I've had her on as a guest. Uh, We've talked about her career and her professional and personal journey. Lisa is one of our closest friends. She's she's like a, a sister to us. She really is. And so she was fantastic and all of the performers were were amazing at Mayfair. The music again just absolutely incredible. They perform for about 45 minutes at a time. Then they take 20 to 25 minute breaks in between sets and the music really isn't invasive per se. If that makes sense, there's always that concern when you go somewhere like that, where there's going to be a performance going on. There's that concern maybe that it's going to be not hampering your enjoyment of your meal, but not necessarily adding to it. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Anyways, it's not invasive at all. It's completely possible to enjoy your meal, enjoy the show, and still have a conversation with whoever you happen to be sitting at the table with. Now, the food. Oh my God. Starting off the mains. My wife ordered the filet mignon. I went with the peppercorn crusted prime rib as our sides. We ordered the field mushrooms and Brussels sprouts with bacon. Let's start with the sides field mushrooms seasoned. Amazingly garlic, salt and pepper covered with butter, 
solid 10 out of 10 could have just had those as the meal, but we didn't, we had so much more Brussels sprouts with bacon. Oh my God. Cooked to perfection. When you go out, I don't know if you've ever gone out and you've ordered like Brussels sprouts that are like the roasted Brussels sprouts as a side, but sometimes they're either a lot of times they're like, they're crispy on the outside and raw on the inside. If that makes sense, these were, were cooked. I don't even know how they cooked it. I would like to know how, because they were outstanding and the bacon again, if you've ever been out anywhere and you've ordered Brussels sprouts with bacon, quite often it shows up and it's like little teeny tiny bacon bits. This was like full on thick cubes of bacon. And I thought my wife and I were going to come to blows over the last couple of pieces. That was how much we loved it. The filet mignon that my wife ordered was she ordered it medium rare, which is how we always order. When we go out to restaurants, we'll order steak. We'll usually go like with a medium rare just because in case it's slightly underdone, they can always refire it, uh, refire it, right? They can cook it a little bit more. Her steak was cooked to a perfect medium rare. And this thing was like, it melted in your mouth. That was how good it was. She, she didn't even really need a steak knife to cut it. it. She was more or less able to just cut it with the edge of her fork. It was incredible. My prime rib, they rolled a cart to the table. The prime rib carved by the waiter table side. Again, a perfect medium rare. They put it on the plate. They poured the au jus over top of it. He had fresh horseradish root to grate on top of it. It was absolutely incredible. Dessert. Did we need dessert? No. Did we want dessert? Oh, hell yes, we did. <laughs> My wife had the Cherry's Jubilee, which prepared table side, whole deal. They pour the brandy over it. They light it on fire. They do that whole thing. It, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Normally it is poured over vanilla ice cream, but because my wife is lactose intolerant, she couldn't have the vanilla ice cream. So they did it over a strawberry sorbet for her. It was amazing. I had something called the cigar and I highly recommend you look this thing up online. If, if you want to take a look at it and see what it is, it's essentially, it's a cigar. It's a chocolate cigar fashioned out of milk chocolate. They fill it with a, a chocolate ganache. It's served with a chocolate crumble and chocolate hazelnut cream and a pear compote. They put it all in an ashtray. So it actually looks like a cigar in an ashtray. They then serve it under glass and they use one of those hickory smoke things to fill it with smoke. So when they bring it to your table and they lift the glass off, the smoke goes everywhere. It was so cool. So the big question, you're hearing me talk about all this and you're thinking, my God, how much does this all cost? Okay. Earlier I said it was the most incredible dining experience that we've had anywhere. I can also tell you it is the most expensive dining experience that we've had anywhere. But knowing what we knew about the, uh, about the Mayfair, knowing what we knew about it, having read what I've read about the Mayfair, I was totally prepared for this. All in, 
with a tip, our meal cost us $325. Now, I should also let you know that our friend Lisa bought us a round of drinks and the Mayfair actually covered our desserts for us, which was very, very nice of them. So if we had paid for the extra round of drinks and paid for the dessert ourselves, we probably would have been pushing closer to $400 for this experience, which initially sounds like a lot of cash, but keeping in mind here that you're not only getting dinner with that, but you're also getting a show. It really works out to be the same as if you went and bought yourself a couple of nice tickets to a Cirque du Soleil show and then went out to dinner somewhere beforehand. You'd probably be paying close to that $400 mark anyways, except instead of it all being in one shot, it would be spread out across a couple of spots. Now, as I've said before, I have less of a problem going out for an experience like this and dropping $325, $350, $400. I have less of a problem spending money on this and having an incredible experience than I do going to Starbucks at Caesars Palace and getting charged $26 for two grande drinks and two pastries. Again, yes, it was expensive, but I can honestly tell you worth every single penny. Next up, I want to tell you about some of the shows that I was able to check out on this particular trip. Starting off, Matt Franco, Magic Reinvented Nightly at The Link. I was actually set up to interview Matt on this trip. So my wife and I were invited to be guests of Matt at his show on the first night that we were in Vegas. For those who maybe aren't familiar with Matt Franco, he is a longtime magician who's been headlining on the Vegas Strip since 2015, following a big win on America's Got Talent back in 2014. After taking a couple of months off to help his wife with a brand new baby, Matt has revamped the entire show. He's added a few new allusions to the show. He's upped the production value and the staging for the show in a big, big way. So if you've seen Matt's show on a previous trip to Las Vegas, I'd highly recommend you go back and see the show again because there have been lots of changes made to the show. My wife and I are not usually big magic show people. We like seeing magicians, but it's usually not a show that we'll go out of our way to see. In this case, we really enjoyed Matt Franco. He told some great stories about his family and how involved they've been in helping him develop his career. And he performed some really cool close-up magic with audience participation, which was great to see. And he pulled off some very cool illusions. I'm not gonna ruin the surprise for you because you really do need to see these for yourself. But these illusions are absolutely gonna have you wondering, how the hell did he do that? <laughs> It's a great show for the whole family. Take the kids to this show if you're bringing kids to Vegas. It's also the type of show that you can actually go back and see a few times because with the audience participation, it's never really the same show twice. Matt Franco, Magic Reinvented Nightly, runs seven nights a week at the Matt Franco Theater at The Link. And if you want to get your hands on tickets, you can visit mattfranco.com. I want to tell you about Monday's Dark at the space. Monday's Dark is a show that my wife and I will always support 
And we will always go out of our way to see Monday's Dark if it happens to be happening while we are in Vegas. If you're new to the podcast, please allow me to explain the idea behind Monday's Dark. If you're not new to the podcast and you've heard me explain it a hundred times, feel free to hit the skip button, flip ahead 15 seconds, and go past the whole explanation. Monday's Dark is a 90-minute variety show. It's also a charity show that raises $10,000 at each show for a local Las Vegas charity. They do this twice a month, the first and third Monday of every month. Features a different musical theme each show, and the performers are from all across the Las Vegas area. People from up and down the strip and off-strip productions who come in and perform as a part of Monday's Dark. The theme for this particular Monday's Dark that we went to was favorite food groups. So we're talking about songs from the likes of the Black Eyed Peas or Salt and Peppa, Cranberries, Meatloaf, Eminem, many, many others. This was possibly one of the best Monday's Darks that we have ever been to. The audience energy was through the roof. The performers were absolutely incredible. Again, this show happens twice a month. They do a year-end party in December. Tickets start at just $20, and I can honestly tell you it is the best $20 that you are going to spend on a show in Las Vegas. If you want to know more about it, you can visit their website at mondaysdark.com. I also had a chance to check out Kenny Davidson's Bowtie Cabaret, the 10th anniversary show. Now, you may have heard me talk about Kenny in the past. Kenny has become one of my closest Las Vegas friends. I haven't had Kenny on the podcast for a full conversation as of yet, and I'm not really sure why I haven't, because he's got a great story and he's a super talented guy, and I would love to have him talk about himself on this podcast. So I really do need to make the effort to get Kenny on the show. Kenny is easily one of the most talented musicians and most talented people that I've ever had the pleasure to get to know. He is a pianist. He's a singer. He's the musical director for the aforementioned Monday's Dark. He hosts Wednesday and Saturday nights at Don't Tell Mama, which is an open mic piano bar in downtown Las Vegas at Neonopolis, just off the Fremont Street experience. And he also hosts something called the Bowtie Cabaret every Friday night in the Piazza Lounge at Tuscany Suites at Casino, just off the Strip. He's been doing this now for 10 years. Basically, every week, Kenny gets one of his friends to join him to host the show, and then they, in turn, bring in their friends to perform and sing songs. Piazza Lounge was absolutely packed for this event, and they ended up going for close to six hours. <laughs> Essentially, almost every performer who has ever joined Kenny through the years turned up to perform along with Kenny and his band at this particular event. And what they did was they sang the first song that they'd ever sung with Kenny. It was an absolutely incredible celebration. Lots of great guests, tons of great music. It was so much fun to be in the room, connecting with everybody, hanging out with everyone, just enjoying some incredible music. And so many of my Vegas friends came by to join Kenny as well. It was absolutely amazing. If you want to know more about Kenny, the Bowtie Cabaret, and everything else that he does in Las Vegas, you could go visit his website at KennyDavidson.com. So I mentioned previously that the main purpose of this trip to Vegas was to attend the Podcast Movement Evolutions Conference, which 
was a great gathering of people from all over the podcast world, from small independent podcasters all the way up to big industry professionals and big wigs. This was an excellent opportunity for me to share my podcast and my skills with people and do some networking with other podcasters. It was a great time. I had a blast connecting with all of these people. And if you ever have a chance to attend a convention or a conference in Las Vegas, you should absolutely do it. But I thought I would put together some little tips and tricks that might help make your convention or conference experience an enjoyable one. Tip number one is stay at or near your conference or convention site. This is not what I did. Um, my convention was being held at the Westgate, which is at the very north end of the Vegas Strip. And I was staying at the Luxor, which, as I mentioned, is at the very south end of the Vegas Strip. Really, the only way these two locations could be any further apart would be if the convention was being held at the Sahara and I was staying at Mandalay Bay. As I'd said earlier, the only reason that I did this was the price. I had a great deal to stay at Luxor, so this was my choice to do it like this. That being said, I ended up spending a lot of extra time just getting to and from my conference. It was a 20-minute walk from my room to the monorail station at the MGM Grand, then a 15-minute monorail ride to the Westgate. Or, if I wanted to go a little bit quicker... I could take a 25-minute, $15 lift ride between the two hotels. I will admit that the commuting definitely detracted from my enjoyment of the convention, but I could not bring myself to pay what the Westgate was charging for their rooms during the conference, especially after hearing stories about the hotel from the people who actually were staying there. And as I'd mentioned earlier, everything mid-strip was double or even triple the cost of what I paid to stay at Luxor. If I had it to do all over again, honestly, I'd probably have spent the extra cash to stay more mid-strip, or I would have started out at Luxor for the vacation portion of my trip and then moved up the strip closer to the convention site for the convention portion of my trip. Tip number two for conventioning in Las Vegas is set a curfew for yourself. It's pretty common that conference or convention sponsors will host parties throughout the week, and my conference was no different. But it's very important, and I can't stress this enough, it is very important to not plan to be at a session at 9 a.m. the morning after the biggest party of the week, which also happened to feature an open bar. Ugh, it was not fun. Needless to say... I didn't make it to my 9 a.m. session, and I'm guessing a lot of people probably didn't either. <laughs> Even if you're not planning on going out partying and you're just planning on sticking around your hotel to maybe do some gambling or just hang out by the bar with other conventioners or other people, set a curfew for yourself and plan a bedtime for yourself. Vegas casinos, by design, are intended to keep you awake for a very long period of time and cause you to lose track of time. There's no windows. There's no clocks. There's no way to really tell what time of the day it is. So it's very, very easy for time to get away from you. You might be hanging out at the bar, sitting in a slot machine, and you think, ah, no problem. I got lots of time. I'll get a good night's sleep. Yeah, I got a 9 a.m. session, but no problem. And then the next thing you know, it is four o'clock in the morning. 
it is very, very easy for time to get away from you. And sleep is really, really important when you're trying to learn. I actually did see a few people nod off during some of the early morning sessions. So again, set a curfew for yourself. Tip number three of Vegas conventioning, stay hydrated. Keep in mind, Vegas is in the middle of a desert. It's very, very dry. So make sure you're drinking lots and lots of water. If you don't, you run the risk of ending up dehydrated. You're going to feel lousy. You're going to get headaches. You're going to feel sick and you're risking missing out on conference sessions and events by the same vein. Stay fed. Okay. That's Vegas conventioning tip. Number four, eat. It sounds silly to have to remind you to eat, but again, it's very, very easy for time to get away from you. Admittedly, I got busy during the conference and a couple of times I actually ran out of time or I forgot to eat, particularly breakfast or lunch. This was terrible. I ended up rushing between sessions while my stomach was rumbling. It was not a lot of fun. So if you think this is going to be you, what I would recommend is throw some snacks into your conference bag, throw some chips in there, throw some cookies, throw some bottled water, throw some fruit in there, whatever, toss some snacks in there. So you're not sitting through conference sessions with a rumbling stomach. All right, so we're just about done with this particular Jeff Does Vegas trip report, but I always like to wrap these trips up with a few additional thoughts and observations about what I saw happening while I was in Las Vegas. I want to begin with a bit of an update about ride shares. If you listen to my last trip report, the January trip report, you might remember that I had some issues with my ride share experiences, particularly with unfriendly and rude drivers. Well, I'm happy to report that this trip was a completely different experience. All the rideshare drivers I had were awesome. They were friendly and they genuinely seemed happy to be doing what they were doing. Now, maybe it's just the difference between rideshare drivers working on the weekend versus working during the week. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was a completely different experience and it was awesome. Speaking of rideshare, there seemed to be a lot more fake rideshare drivers this time. I've have never noticed this as much on previous trips as I did this time around by fake rideshare drivers. I'm talking about the guys who will park at the rideshare pickup areas at the hotels, and they will offer you a ride in exchange for cash rather than going through the app. I cannot stress this enough. Do not ride with these people. You are basically getting into a total stranger's car with no record of who your driver is, no record of where you're going, and no record of the route you're taking. This is how people end up robbed, assaulted, or dead. It is a terrible idea. If you're approached by one of these guys, when you come out of your hotel, you go to the ride share area, you're waiting for your ride. If you get approached by one of these guys who say, Hey, I'll, I'll give you a ride. If you're waiting for a ride, just tell them, no, tell them you've already hailed the ride on the app and you can't cancel it at this point. Because again, this is a terrible idea. Do not ride with these guys. Remember when you were a kid and your mom told you don't get into a car with a stranger. That's exactly what you'd be doing in this case. The only thing missing is the free candy. So again, do not ride with these people. Couple of notes for you regarding restaurants. Still recommending reservations if there is somewhere specific that you've got your heart set on that you want to eat at. 
places are taking walk-ins, but if it's one of the busier places, you're going to be waiting for a very long time. My wife and I, any place we walked up to, we were told anywhere from 25 to 45 minutes. For the most part, we got in a lot sooner than that, but that is still something to keep in mind. So again, if there is somewhere particular that you want to eat or you're doing something specific, you're going to a show after dinner, something like that, highly recommend reservations. Jump on the restaurant website, go on Open Table or any of the reservation sites and book your table ASAP. Do it well in advance. Something else as well. People have been complaining about significant price increases at restaurants over the last little while. And we hadn't really noticed it until this trip, but our dining dollar definitely did not go as far as it has on previous trips. Some examples for you, our dinner at Husong's Cantina, again, this is Mexican, it's, it's beans, it's rice, it's tortillas. It was a $70 meal. Our meal at Reros at the Irish pub was $75. Our breakfast at the Henry at the Cosmo was $71, including the tip. And the high spot on this particular bill at the Henry for me was the $6 coffee and the $6 tea. It wasn't a latte. It wasn't a chai tea. It was nothing special. This was a cup of black coffee and an English breakfast tea, and they were $6 each. We were blown away by that. We have never paid that much for meals before, or again, at least we've never really noticed it. So you're going to want to keep that in mind. If you're heading to Vegas, if you've got a trip plan coming up here, maybe just give yourself a few extra bucks in your dining budget, just a bit more than you might be expecting for those meals. Lots of scammers still out in full force along the Vegas Strip. Talked about this during the last trip report, but I'll throw it out there again. Lots of people getting scammed. The big one that I saw this time around that's still going on is the rap CD scam. I've talked about this before on the podcast. If you're not familiar with it, basically a group of guys stops you as you're walking by. Hey man, what's up? We're recording artists. We just put together this CD. Do you want it? It's free. They try to hand it to you. You take it. Then they say, hey, do you want us to autograph it for you? Once they autograph it, that's where the scam kicks in. They want money. Usually 20 bucks for the autograph. They want you to pay them for their signature. If you refuse or you try to hand the CD back to them, they get in your face. They get aggressive. They try to intimidate you into paying them. One day when I was walking the strip, I probably saw this scam going on in seven or eight places. And the worst spots were just outside of New York, New York, just north of New York, New York, at the entrance to the park where you would go to walk to T-Mobile Arena. And the space between the link and Harris out front of Carnival Court, the outdoor bar, which is always a little bit sketchy anyways, but seemed particularly sketchier with a lot of this going on. I saw so many people getting caught up in this scam. General rule of thumb is if you're walking the strip and somebody tries to hand you something, whether it is a CD, whether it is a sample of face cream, whether it is the fake Buddhist monks trying to hand you the peace beads or the prayer cards, Politely decline, just keep walking, and just say no. Also want to talk a little bit about crowds in Vegas. Holy cow. 
I'm not usually a weekend in Vegas person, okay? My trips are usually Sunday to Wednesday, Monday to Thursday. I like that. It's less crowded. It's less busy. Room rates are usually better. Restaurants aren't as crazy. We arrived in Vegas on a Saturday just after noon. I have never seen Vegas that busy. It's been a very long time since I've seen Vegas that busy. The crowds were insane. Um, the first weekend that we were in Vegas, it was NASCAR race weekend. So you're talking a hundred thousand NASCAR fans who are there to take in the race. There was an Usher concert going on at Park MGM. There was an Adele concert up the road at Caesars. Jimmy Buffett was playing at MGM Grand. Uh, there was a Vegas Golden Knights game on Saturday afternoon. Saturday night, there was a UFC event. It was also the beginning of March Madness. And we're talking a huge high school girls volleyball tournament, a big regional national tournament. I mentioned it a little bit earlier here in the trip report. We're talking thousands of families roaming around on the strip. So again, if you do not like crowds, don't go to Vegas on a weekend. You will lose your mind. <laughs> Finally, I want to talk about elevator etiquette. I promised you a quick refresher on elevator etiquette, and I wanted to share this based on the elevated behavior that I saw during my stay at Luxor. People, what is wrong with you? What has happened over the last several years that you have become so absorbed in your own little world that you have completely forgotten that there are other people in this universe? The world does not revolve around you. You need to be a little bit considerate of other people. And elevators are a great example of this. The biggest piece of elevator etiquette advice that I can give while you're waiting to board the elevator, step back from the damn doors. I cannot count the number of times that I was nearly bowled over by people trying to rush onto the elevator while I was trying to get off of the elevator. Let people off before you try to get on. This isn't rocket science, people. It's it's riding an elevator. There are people trying to get off the elevator. They've got bags. They've got suitcases. They've got wagons. They've got rolly coolers. Particularly the worst time is right around that 10 to 11 a.m. point in the morning. That's checkout time, right? So people are checking out of their rooms. They're trying to get off the elevators with their bags. And these yahoos are trying to cram their way onto the elevator. It's absolute madness. So again, just step back from the door. That's all we're asking. Yes, take a little look. Just do a little a little sideways glance into the elevator to see if there's people trying to get off the elevator. If there isn't, great. Stampede on that elevator all you want. But if there's people trying to get off the damn elevator, give them a little bit of space. That's all they're asking for. Now, the big question, who gets to board the elevator first? Simple answer. It should be people who either A, have been waiting the longest to get on the elevator, or B, people who are at the front of the line when the doors open. Either way, if you're at the back of the line, no cutsies, okay? Do not push your way to the front of the line and shove your way through the group of people who are trying to board. Just wait your damn turn to get on the elevator. Once you are in the elevator, Stand as close to the walls as possible. You want to allow as many people as safely possible into the elevator. So again, just, just move towards the walls if at all possible. If you're going to a higher floor, 
Try to stand near the back of the elevator. If you're going to be on a lower floor, stand near the front of the elevator. This is so, A, if you're going to that higher floor, you don't have a bunch of people pushing past you to get off the elevator at their floor. Or if you're going to the lower floor, you're not at the back of the elevator pushing through a bunch of people trying to get off at your floor. It's simple as that. If you're bringing baggage on the elevator, please make sure there's enough room for you and your bags and try to stay near the doors so that you're not displacing everybody else. Okay. This is the one time when it's acceptable to not move towards the back of the elevator or towards the walls. Try to stay in the center. So you're not having to drag your bag past a bunch of people. If the elevator's crowded, try to tell people that you've arrived at your floor and excuse yourself. Excuse me. This is my floor. Can I get through, please? Excuse me, please. It's as simple as that. Don't just push your way and shove your way through the people. That is rude as hell. And finally, get out of the way to let people off of the elevator. If the elevator is really, really crowded, if you actually have to step out of the elevator, let people off, then climb back on the elevator. People will let you back in again. None of this is rocket science, but based on the behavior that I saw on this trip, I feel like it's something I need to share with you. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.